Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today, we're continuing our series with Andy Steiger entitled Thinking, Answering Life's Five Biggest Questions. Andy, along with Dr. Newfeld, will be discussing the issue of why is there evil? Let's join them now. Hi, it's John Newfeld here, and it's a delight to have Andy Steiger in the studio with us. We're talking about various issues relating to apologetics, and today we're going to be talking about God and the problem of evil. This is probably the biggest question that we wrestle with. Why is there evil? This was a question that I began to grapple with uh, a number of years ago when my wife and I went to Calcutta, India. We went there to serve at local missions that were taking place. And the one place that we served was an orphanage that was started by Mother Teresa. And I'll never forget the first day that I came into this orphanage. I saw a little boy that was sitting on the floor. And it was told to me that they had just found him in the bushes that day at a train station. As I came up closer to him, I began to notice that his eyes had these white cataracts that protruded. And I found out that he had become so malnourished that he had lost his eyesight. This little boy's name was Raju. And as I bent down and I picked him up into my arms and I held him, I just began to weep as this little boy cried, not knowing who had just picked him up or who was holding him. And I began to realize how much suffering takes place in our world. And as I was holding him, I thought, I can't think of a more helpless individual than a little boy born in Calcutta that is so poor that he doesn't even have his eyesight. If you've ever experienced one of those moments, and that's the real challenge with evil, isn't it? is it's not something that we can just factually know. It's something that we each personally experience that challenges us deeply as we seek to understand why is our world so broken. And people react to our broken world in different ways. I remember a friend of mine had gone to the airport to pick up his brother. He had just served on a missions trip like I was, but he was serving on a missions trip in Africa. As he came to the airport to pick him up, his his brother came and gave him a big hug and whispered into his ear that he had just abandoned his faith. And I, I remember as my friend began to explain this to me, you know, he was imagining, you know, holding his brother as, as he told about how amazing his experience was on the mission field and what God was doing in his life. And here it was on the mission field that he lost his faith in God. We have a difficult time understanding why God would allow so much evil in our world today. But the thing that really challenges me when I hear stories like that, of people who give up on their relationship with God because of evil, I don't think that they fully understand what they're doing. They seem to draw such contradictory conclusions. They don't stop to think what they even mean by the word evil. And so often, this is a question that I'll often ask people, What do you mean by evil? Now, I want to just pause here for a moment because it might sound like this is just an intellectual question that we need to wrestle with, and it's not. People wrestle with evil both from the head and the heart. There's times in our lives where we just need to sit and cry and hold people through the evil that they're experiencing. But at the same time, as we go through evil, or even if we help somebody who's going through a time of suffering, we need to know and be solid in our understanding of evil and suffering and why it exists. And we need to have a clear understanding of what we mean by evil. You see, when we say 
that this world is evil, bad, or wrong. We seem to have an idea that the world ought not be this way, that the world ought to be good, right, or correct. And in fact, what you begin to see is that this idea of evil, the world having evil in it, is actually some of the best evidence for God. Now, I know that might sound kind of odd, but in fact, C.S. Lewis was an atheist for a long time, and he shares about how it was actually evil that brought him to belief in God. He says this, see, he says, my argument against God was that the world seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, the reality is, is the more that you begin to think about evil, you realize that evil isn't a thing. It's the corruption of something. So let me give you an example of how this works. Counterfeit currency is not a thing. It's the corruption of something. Namely, it's the corruption of currency. In the same way, Evil is not a thing. It's the corruption of something. It's the corruption of good. Now, notice what this means then. It means that you can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good. The same thing works with currency. You can have currency without counterfeit currency, but you can't have counterfeit currency unless currency exists to begin with. It means then that the most fundamental question that we should be asking if we're asking why is there evil is why is there good? And what we have traditionally understood as good in the Judeo-Christian religion is that uh, God is good. But this raises a question that, that philosophers had pondered, and it's simply this. Does God tell us what the good is because good exists out there and, and he's just the arbiter of it? Or does God just decide what the good is? And, and so tomorrow he could decide that rape is good, for example. Is, is goodness just at the whim of God? Well, the Christian answer to this question is that neither of those is correct. That when Christians talk about God being good, we're saying that God is good. That he is the very standard of right relationship within his very essence. And this is why the Trinity is so significant to Christian doctrine. We are saying then that in the Trinity, that God lives in right relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is the very standard of right relationship, and that that is why he is good. Now, we live in a culture that I'm sure you're aware of that doesn't want to base goodness in God, but would rather base goodness in ourselves or in our society. The problem with this is, is that people don't agree with each other, nor do societies. I like how Ravi Zacharias put it. He said, some people invite you over for dinner. Others have you for dinner. Do you have a preference? Now, I think that this is something that we each can appreciate. There are different people that we don't want writing the laws. And that there have been societies throughout history that we don't agree with. For example, with World War II, the world wasn't quite sure what to do with Germany after the war. You know, how do they hold them accountable for the atrocities that took place in the Holocaust, given that they had passed laws making everything that they had done, in fact, legal? But the truth is that during the Nuremberg trials, we determined that there was, in fact, a law above the law, what we call a suprapositive, and that, in fact, it didn't matter that what the people or the society had chosen, 
that there are some things that are truly right and some things that are truly wrong, and they are found outside of people and outside of society or culture. Martin Luther King Jr. referred to it as this in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. He said, A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. Now, I want to just take a moment to explain what I'm not saying because sometimes people will get confused on this point. I'm not saying that you need to believe in God to do good things. I'm also not saying that you can't develop or formulate an ethical life without referring to God. I I believe that you can, and in general, atheists can and are good people. What I'm saying is that without God, good and evil are just an illusion and wouldn't even exist in reality. Yet our awareness of them demonstrates that they are real, a reality that is dependent on God. The challenge, though, that we face and that we deal with when we come to the question of evil is, like I said earlier, is a question of the heart. There is a famous uh, writer by the name of Bart Ehrman. He wrote a book called God's Problem, and in it, he explains how he once was an evangelical, in fact, went to a great seminary and studied under a great theologian, but ultimately would abandon his faith. He said this, He said, I realized that I could no longer reconcile the claims of faith with the facts of life. In particular, I could no longer explain how there can be a good and all-powerful God actively involved in the world, given the state of things. So many people who inhabit this planet, life is a cesspool of misery and suffering. I came to a point where I simply could not believe that there is a good and kindly disposed ruler who is in charge of it all. You see, this is the challenge that we face. If God is all-powerful, then he should be able to deal with evil. And if God is all-good, then he should want to do something about evil. Yet here we find ourselves in a broken, evil world, asking ourselves, God, what are you doing? And we're going to continue with more from Andy Steiger, joined by Dr. John Newfeld in just a moment. You know, three years and 650 episodes of Laugh Again with Phil Calloway. Laugh Again has always stretched the norm at Back to the Bible Canada. In fact, we've had people ask why. Well, let me share with you a couple of reasons. First, we live in a country increasingly rejecting both God and the Bible. And second, people are wandering through life hopeless. Laugh Again opens the door to a message of hope and joy centered in Jesus. Could anything be more important? You know, recently Phil was approached by a woman who recognized his voice, and she said she listens every day, in fact, gave her life to Jesus as a direct result. Get this, she's now not only listening to Laugh Again, but back to the Bible every day. Hope that helps, and hope it inspires you to support this important ministry. Our year-end goal for Laugh Again is $50,000, so call us at 1-800-663-2425, that's 1-800-663-2425, or donate online at laughagain.ca. Now let's join Andy Steiger and Dr. John Newfeld as they discuss Why Is There Evil? Dr. John Newfeld here, and I'm in conversation with Andy Steiger. And Andy, thank you for that excellent presentation. So let's launch right into this thing. 
uh, evil. How can a good and loving God allow evil to exist? This is a challenge that we face, isn't it? How is it that you can have an all-powerful God that has the ability to stop evil and an all-loving God that should want to stop evil, but yet here we find ourselves in an evil, broken world? And ultimately, when you look at the question, you you realize that you have a, a, a dilemma and when, what do you do philosophically when you have a dilemma? You split the horns of the dilemma and, and show that there's a potential for a third option here. And the third option in Christianity is that, that God, an all-powerful and all-loving God, could have a good reason for allowing the kind of evil that we see. And I think that that's definitely a possibility. The only problem is the Bible doesn't tell us why God has allowed evil. It gives hints to, to why all of this is going on, but we don't know for sure why God has allowed evil. But we don't have to know exactly why God has allowed evil. We just have to have the possibility of why God would allow it. This is where you get what's called the free will defense. And it's important to understand that the free will defense is a possible answer showing that you don't have a logical contradiction. Now, you may hold that this is the answer, uh, but, but that's not what's necessary to show that God's not in conflict with his, his all-powerful and all-loving self. And so what you see then in the free will defense is this idea that God had four possible worlds that he could have created. He could have not created any world at all in which we wouldn't have evil. Or two, he could have created a world but without people and we still wouldn't have evil. Or third, he could have created a world with people but without free will. We would have no evil. Or fourth, he could have created a world with free creatures and the possibility of evil. Now, this is significant then because it means that with Satan and Adam and Eve, they clearly had a level of free will that allowed them to rebel against God. In the garden then in Genesis, what we see with Adam and Eve is that with this, you know, the, this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't like there was some sort of mass, you know, magical power in the fruit. What you see is that it was this act of rebellion. It was the, you know, as Adam and Eve closed their teeth on that forbidden fruit, that that act of rebellion is what broke relationship with God and ushered evil into the world. I think that's very good and helpful. I think there's something else, though, and I just want to uh, maybe interject something here, and that is that uh, it may be also that God's glory uh, that is exemplified in his mercy. In fact, we find that uh, in the scripture, Christ crucified, says Peter, from before the foundation of the, of the world. That is that God created a world that would need to be redeemed so that he could demonstrate his mercy in the cross. That's getting us into a whole new territory, and I'm not going to go there, but I think it, it does deserve some analysis to that as well. Uh, We have a number of other things, too. And when we talk about evil per se, one of the things that Christians struggle with is if God created everything, did he create evil? But I think we have an answer here from Augustine, and let's talk about that. Yeah, it's important to understand that God did not create evil, nor has evil always existed. This is something that I've heard from different people where they'll think that Satan is evil. It's important to understand that Satan hasn't always been evil. He once was Lucifer. He was an angel. He was, he was in relationship with God. But ultimately, through an act of rebellion, 
uh, Satan, you know, Lucifer became Satan and evil was ushered into the world. You have the same thing with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were once in the garden in relationship with God, but through that act of rebellion, they were um, expelled from the garden. And ultimately then we find ourselves in a world of uh, captivity, captivity to evil and sin. And as the offspring of Adam and Eve, we find ourselves born into captivity, and we refer to this as original sin, that as the Bible explains that we are born with this bent towards rebellion, towards broken relationship, that, so that it hasn't always been that way, and it won't always stay that way, that God can and will defeat evil and did so on the cross. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is that evil in itself is not a thing, it's rather the absence of a thing, and that thing being the good. Am I right in saying it that way? Yeah, the way that we often put it is just like that, that evil is the corruption of something. So evil is not a thing in and of itself. It's the corruption of something. Specifically, it's the corruption of good. So that when we say that something is evil, we're saying that the world ought not be this way. But that means that I believe that there's a way that the world should be, and this is what we mean by good. That's an excellent answer. Now, let's let's take it to another level, and that is the God that we speak about is not standing aloof from our sufferings, is he? No, in fact, he isn't. And this is one of the things I love about Christianity. It's, we don't serve some sort of deistic God who just set everything in motion and just kind of un- watching it unfold going, ooh, looks pretty bad down there. But in Christianity, what we see is a God who loves us, in fact, loves us so much as Uh, John 3.16 tells us that he would send his son, that God entered into our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ, that God took on flesh in the incarnate word, and that he suffered right along with us for the purpose of saving us from evil. Let's also talk about the fact that evil is coming to an end, yes? And, uh, you know, how do Christians measure what's happening to them today? Because we all suffer that suffering and evil and the encounter with evil. That's a universal human experience. None of us uh, knows life without it. But it is coming to an end. And how should we measure what's coming and what we're experiencing today? Well, that's the hope that we have as a Christian, is that Jesus defeated death. He defeated evil on the cross, and that in him, we have life eternal. And for the Apostle Paul, that meant that everything that he did in this life, that all the all the suffering he endured was always juxtaposed to the eternal life to come with God. And so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It means then for the Christian, heaven isn't the PS to our life story, but everything that we live and hope for in a broken world. Thank you so much for that, Andy. Now, there are a couple of things that I still think that we need to talk about, and one of them is that I think that uh, what evil and suffering means for the unbeliever is very different than what it actually means for the believer. I think for an unbeliever, uh, suffering and evil, the presence of it in the world, is a reminder that there is also an eternal evil awaiting all of those who reject the purposes of God. But for those who are in Christ, I mean, you know, evil is this ability also for us to identify with Christ because he suffered on our behalf and and we are now entering into his sufferings as well. So there is a redemptive uh, 
uh, feeling that we have going through it. Uh, my Savior suffered, and I am allowed this privilege of uh, bearing up in Him. I, I think it, I, I totally agree with you. Not only do we have the the encouragement that we have a Savior that's, that has come into our suffering with us and walks alongside us through that suffering. He hasn't just left us, but he walks with us and he encourages us as we go through the suffering of this life. But more than that, we have the hope in knowing that the evil and atrocities of this life will be held accountable and that he will judge uh, and that these things didn't uh, just take place and have no, you know, significance at all or just will end up being meaningless, but that he will hold all things accountable in the end. Wow, that's so good. Well, you know, I think that evil is something, and, uh, you know, we've talked about evil and suffering. I suppose, you know, we can really talk about evil on two terms, can't we? I mean, there are the sufferings in this world, but there are also the moral injustices that are done. So, I mean, but we've lumped them both together because it's all a part of a world that's fallen. But I think we can safely say that there is no human being who simply views this subject matter as theory, do we? Because this is universal to all of us, regardless of our religion, regardless of where we live, we will all suffer. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people have abandoned their faith because of evil. You know, you you as I've talked with different atheists, as I've talked with different people that are agnostic or just struggling with their faith, often what I'll see as I begin to walk with them, as I begin to talk more with them, is that you see that deep in them is a lot of hurt and that they are seeking to understand the evil of this life and, and grapple with it. And oftentimes it is taken out as a frustration against God. Not that they don't believe in God, but in fact, they're actually angry with God. Yeah, and so this anger with God is sometimes uh, a misunderstanding of what God actually has for us. I mean, the, the, the beauty of the scripture also is that there is such a redemptive part that God, you know, First Peter tells us that God is using uh, the sufferings that we go through to strip us from our dependence upon this world so that we might no longer put our affections on this world, but our affections on him and the eternal life that awaits us. Thank you, Andy Steiger, again, for a very wonderful time of discussing truths that relate to our own faith. Thanks so much, John, and thanks, Andy. And join us again tomorrow at Back to the Bible Canada as Andy and Dr. Neufeld discuss, Is There Life After Death? Right here on Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Two thousand seventeen has been a year of great blessing. God has allowed us to teach His Word across our nation, ever expanding our opportunity. Daily, the Bible is being taught on air, online, via podcast, audio mail, MP3, in print, and of course now in partnership with Back to the Bible India. And two thousand seventeen offers even more. In the months to come, Dr. John Newfeld will air a new weekly podcast called Truth and Life answering your burning Bible questions. We're working to launch a new kids Bible engagement application, a new in-doubt Bible study series for millennials and conduct two pastor training seminars in India. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but these ministries and much more are dependent upon your continued support. 
So join with us to reach our year-end goal of $355,000 by December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or donate online at backtothebible.ca.